Welcome to the LIBF Financial Education Team Podcast. In each episode, we will discuss the key topics that impact on financial education, and whenever possible, include guests so we can get their thoughts and ideas too. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, David. How are we doing? Scott, nice to join you today. Oh, it's great to have you on here as one of our guests. How, how are things? Great. Uh, business is, is doing well. And uh, yeah, just learning to, to uh, really live a Zoom life, as, yeah. as it were these days. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Well, look, thank you for your time. I know how, how busy everybody is, so it's, um, it's much appreciated that you're giving up a bit of time to talk through what's going to be our, uh, talk about our level three qualifications, if that's okay. Absolutely. Before we do, for the listeners uh, who don't know you, could you tell us a bit about kind of your backgrounds to getting into the world of financial education and what it is you currently do? So I have been in financial service industry since I left school. I actually started in a bank and went to university at the same time. And then I uh, began my career after university. And in addition to working in the bank, I also taught for a couple of years uh, in England and financial finance and business as well as accounting and then I moved on and I've been with LIBF for the last seven years uh, just you know, seven and a half years um, as an RM and I service the southeast of England and look after the schools and colleges in the area there providing training and just making sure that they're up and ready and rearing to go with our financial uh, qualifications. So it sounds like from a young age you kind of got hooked onto the, the subject of money and all things related to finance and personal finance. Where, where did that come from, do you think? Um, well, that's actually an interesting question. And, and I do have a little story for you in that um, my parents actually gave me a cash register as a toy when I was a little boy until my brother broke it. And I absolutely <laughs> loved the fact I had this little cash register and it would pop open and you had this little money in. And I don't know, ever since then, my parents think that I have clearly been obsessed with it. But in all honesty, um, I think uh, it, it, I was taught how to save. And I think that's an important element of personal finance. And it also taught me self-discipline at the same time. Because I think we live in a culture now where it's not a case of, you know, you fly now, pay later. Whereas my grandparents and parents, they grew up about, you know, saving for a rainy day. And I remember asking my, my students, what does that mean? And they had absolutely no idea. So I think um, I would definitely say my parents had a huge impact um, in, my, in my relationship with money, as they were also very cautious with their spending. My father was in life insurance, etc. And um, yeah, even down to my Easter eggs, my brothers would stuff their faces and I'd save mine and, you know, over a couple of days, <laughs> sounds very sad, but, but that's how it is. And I think with the passion there for understanding finance and seeing how simple it can be, no matter if you're a celebrity or just a basic worker, you can really manage your money in an efficient way. And it is clearly a life skill that I believe everybody needs. How important do you think it is those early influences and, and how much do you think that impacts in, in, in adulthood? I think it is hugely important. I think you send messages out to, to um, your, your children at an early age. Um, just listening to one of the Dragon's Den uh, people the other day and how she, her experience of money and what it meant to her. Um, you know, from her upbringing with absolutely nothing and seeing, you know, the, the um, bailiffs coming, she understood that there was some value. So I think the key thing is, if you can translate what, it's not about money, it's about the value of money 
and instill that into a child at an early age, they will understand. But we live in this throwaway society. I have issues with my own nephew and niece and how they raise. But I try and instill the value when I'm with them as to this cost, this expense, where did this come from? Because I think it's just a lack of understanding. And if we do educate from a young age, of course it will completely transcend into the, the, their future lives. You've been in education for a long time, working in schools, and then obviously with us for over seven years now. Through both roles, whether it be the RM with us, LIBF, or when you were teaching, generally speaking, how did you find students' knowledge of financial education and kind of their values or attitude towards money? Um, interestingly enough, I mean, I taught on the Isle of Dogs um, in East London. Uh, fantastic, fantastic area. Uh, the kids are really streetwise. And they know how to barter. Um, and some of them are entrepreneurs. I mean, I think uh, Lord Sugar was one example coming from, uh, from those parts. And, um, but yet again, I think with the way, you know, you and I grew up, obviously in different countries, but we didn't have the advertising and we didn't have the social media in our faces. They said the average Londoner sees, well, this is in pre-COVID times, a hundred adverts before they get to work in terms of signboards on buses, et cetera, and the tube station. Now times that by a hundred, and that's what a, a teenager of today gets. So you can understand how they're actually bombarded with marketers' messages. So I think they have a hard harder time and I do I used to give them a hard time but I, I always say save but they were so the temptation is there of course to be cool and to be you know fit in with your peers so it was re really difficult for them not to want to buy something because it's always there for the taking and I think yes to answer your question Scott is that they didn't have much of an understanding. They didn't realize the consequences, I think, of their bad spending. And I think that's where the role of our job came in of educating them. We obviously do qualifications in schools and colleges in the wider community from levels one to levels three. But mm. for this podcast, we're going to talk about level three. And I know you've got a great experience both delivering this and supporting centers around level three. So mm. if you don't mind, just first and foremost, can you tell us a bit about the certificate and the diploma of financial studies at level three that we provide? Absolutely. As you rightly said, I actually was privileged, and I say this because it was a privilege to teach level three. Um, when it came along uh, to our school, we were looking at an option and it looked like such a good fit because it was accessible to all students and it was a life skill. Um, so when I taught it, the level three, how we, how we placed it was, it's an applied general level three qualification taught over two years, and it is the equivalent of one A level. Um, CEFs is included in the school performance tables. And the great news is that it can also attract a maximum of 56 UCAS points. In a nutshell, the teach, it teaches students how to become responsible borrowers, uh, how to save, and obviously they then specifically appreciate the need of how to financially plan throughout their life. And I think that's, that's the key essence. They, they walk away with the life skill, as I referred to earlier. So that's what the level three uh, is. And there's obviously two parts of it, which we can go into in more detail. Excellent, David. Thank you for that. And who would you say the qualification is kind of suited for? And what do students tend to study alongside the certificate and or the Diploma of Financial Studies? Okay, so of course the students would have to be level three students in, in a college or sixth form. And uh, 
they are wanting to complete their A-levels. And I think this is a great um, subject to have on offer. Uh, we have several schools actually who offer it as an enrichment. So not only are they doing their A-levels, but they do this as an addition, or it runs alongside another course like the AAT, which is a nice uh, bolt-on, as I think one of my colleges calls it. And also it can be as an option. Uh, I found, and this is not to be gender specific, but uh, boys tend to not really like uh, doing an essay. So if the option is for an EPQ, that extended project essay, um, they tend to opt for our qualification. And um, we've had we've had that in, on many occasions where it's a it's a nice fit into their en enrichment program. Um, so yeah, and as I, I was might have alluded to earlier, I think it's anyone who of those students who are interested or passionate and possibly going into the financial services industry as one option, or just number two is really want to have a life skill, realizing that many subjects we. Uh, taught at school are of course all very uh, relevant and it's great to have that knowledge because knowledge is power but in this instance when you get a student saying how can I use this after school I can show you every way that you are going to use this in your day-to-day -day life after school and set you up very well I mean just to give you a classic example I spend as, as you do Scott too uh, several evenings throughout uh, throughout the year rather um, at uh, open evenings and when I'm there, um, several parents come up to me, seem to be more fascinated in my, uh, you know, qualification than they, than they, uh, darling children, <laughs> who are kind of just dragged along. And they all say to me, you know, I wish we had had this at school. I wouldn't have had made the mistakes that I had. And you know, then they say, come on, you really need to do this qualification. So, effectively, I mean, the parents sell the qualification. For, for us because they realize that, that, that within hindsight, obviously the benefit of, of our life skill that we give them in the qualification. And we've kind of touched on it then. So the life skill uh, elements to the, to the courses that we have in particular level three, what topics does it cover them? What are the things students will learn about if they were to do the certificate or the diploma? I mean, there are numerous topics. I mean, we start with the very basic um, and that is of, obviously of bartering. Um, so if you don't have any education or any foundation uh, from lower school, uh, this will give you a basic working. Uh, and we start building their knowledge through really talking about various financial uh, products like your basic savings account or what a bank overdraft is. And then we go into more long-term products such as investments and taking out a mortgage. A lot of students tend to know some of the terminology but they don't know what it implies. And, and why do you have to have a mortgage and not a loan if you want to buy a house, for example? So, and then of course, at the same time, we try and apply this to one specific topic is related to the product life cycle. In other words, determining what will be most appropriate for you as, a, as an individual for a specific person at appropriate time of their life. An example would be like, for example, a student's uh, loan. Uh, when they want to go to university. Um, and then, of course, the other topics related to uh, the diploma more so uh, in the second year focuses on sustainability of finances and future-proofing your finance. So making sure that you are making a nest egg for yourself and, and really being diligent about how you see your future 
when it comes to sustaining yourself after you have finished your working life effectively. And then obviously not only from the individual uh, perspective, but also how financial service providers work and compete with each other and how they sustain themselves. And of course, as we live and breathe, uh, we have found that there's been so much challenge uh, banks coming to the forefront. Uh, we've had lots of change in the industry since 2008 crash. It's definitely an interesting time to be, um, you know, teaching the subject because of course every year things change as, as we go. And how much is language an important part of the qualifications? And also how much is maths and numeracy part of the qualifications? I think that's um, a preconceived idea that it would be involving a lot of maths. Um, and actually when a lot of teachers ask me, what, what grade do they need to have obtained to get into this qualification? I always say, funny enough, they should be looking at their language uh, grade, not their maths grade. We're really um, assessing their knowledge on a real life situation. I always used to say to my students when they were doing an assessment, um, don't think of yourself as um, not a student, but as a mini financial advisor, you're going to be given a scenario and you need to make the best decision for that individual with the skills that you've learned. And I think that's the way uh, to, to go for, you know, from, from there. And that's how they can actually uh, learn from that. So the maths um, plays a little part, I'd say. I mean, if you can't add or do a percentage, then there's an issue. But um, generally speaking, you should be absolutely fine. I think it's a terminology you, you, you touched on. A lot of them understand things. And I knew a lot of my kids were very savvy in that sense. But when it came to just really joining the dots in terms of this definition of what a mortgage is, you've got a vague idea. And okay, I'm going to give you the in-depth knowledge of that and bringing the two together. And uh, they learned from that. You said it at the beginning, I think, that actually, you know, it, it isn't overly complicated. And some of the concepts of things around personal finance is quite straightforward. And what I found with students, particularly the level three students, was they would have some of the words and terminology, but they didn't really understand it. And actually, once you got into a bit of detail around it and it clicked, then they kind of really enjoyed it more. And actually talking about mortgages and interest only or, you know, um, front loaded or whatever it might be, different types of products are out there. They kind of it made sense and they, they, they enjoyed the topic of it a bit more because they they could relate to why they had to learn it or wanted to learn it. Same with insurance, these kind of things. It could be quite dry topics, but actually the students get into it and quite, quite enjoy it. How much... Do you have to be an expert as a teacher to deliver these qualifications? I mean, that's a question I get asked by very nervous maths business teachers or possibly humanities teachers. Oh, gosh, my finances are on an absolute state. And I ask them to just calm down, breathe. It's absolutely fine. If you're an adult, you probably already have a credit card. You already have a mortgage. You have HP on the car, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got a pretty good understanding of how things work, whether you manage them correctly or not it's another question and actually sometimes I've actually encouraged them to do the course themselves because all teachers um, who are registered uh, school uh, with the schools that we deliver the qualifications to they they can do it for free and some of them have uh, taken me up on that offer which is great um, but yeah to answer your question it, they don't need to have much of a knowledge of anything we do provide uh, CPD training uh, usually in London uh, but now we'll be doing uh, for free online, all the relationship managers, uh, depending on where you're based in the country, 
um, you can have your own dedicated RM who would set up an online training session uh, for you just to kind of give you a little bit more exposure. And I've noticed once I've gone and done the sessions with the, with the teachers or would-be uh, teachers of the subject, they've really been happy with it. If anything, I'll say, and I wanted to mention this in the earlier point that you made, was that it's actually quite fun to teach because I think the kids engage a lot more because they love anything about it is the real life examples. They'll ask you personal questions about your finance, don't get me wrong, but they really, really, you could hear a pin drop when you're explaining a financial experience that you've had, they all years. And the funny thing is that's the thing that they remember. When it comes to assessment, they won't remember maybe the details of the different types of loans, but they'll remember the effect, the consequence, and they can tell you the story right back to you. To you. So I think if anything, if you've got life experience, that's already uh, one tick in your, in your favour. That's excellent. That's painted. We'll go pitch the qualification and what students would learn. How is the qualification structured? Right. Okay. How it's structured, as I mentioned, there's obviously the certificate and the diploma. So over the two years, you'd start with the certificate. That's a prerequisite. Um, and there are two units there. The, the first unit is financial capability for intermediate and short term. And the second unit is the medium and long term, as I mentioned, investment and mortgages. The second year, if you wish to continue, which I'll get to now, is unit three, which is sustainability of individual finances. And uh, unit four is sustainability of financial service systems, which I mentioned as well before. But just on this note, you don't have to feel that you have to do the diploma. We've got many schools that actually can't offer it. They don't have enough time in the timetable, et cetera, or it's run as an enrichment. So what they do is just the certificate. And the great news is because it's modular, they can achieve a maximum of 28 UCAS points if they um, don't continue on to the diploma. How is the qualification assessed, David? So once a student start the course, then maybe they just start with the certificate and do it's one and two. How, how would they actually be assessed and their performance be measured? Right, so there's assessment for every unit. So in other words, for each year, you'd have two assessments. Um, they usually run around the January period um, and the, Feb, uh, the May period. The, and then, of course, we've got resets. But generally speaking, they're the two um, sections of the year that are allocated to, to that. How it's broken down is that in each unit, you would have two examinations per unit. So there's a part A and a part B. Part A is a multiple choice, um, and that is a total of 35 marks. And then you get a part B, with it, which is a pre-release case study. And this requires essay responses to questions. And um, half of these questions would be on the case study and the remaining would be non-case study um, questions. Um, and that has a total of 65 marks. So if you add the 65 to the 35, you get a nice round number of 100. And just by the way, of those 65 marks, five of these are what we call SPAG for spelling, punctuation and grammar. Um, and it's also important to, to, to know two things. Number one, the pre-release case study is received 
by yourselves, uh, centres, uh, six weeks prior to the exam. So they get an understanding. They can start living, breathing, eating who these characters are. So when they walk into the exam, they know exactly what to do when it comes to the case uh, study questions. And number two, it's important to remember that the pass mark is a 40% of the UMS for each unit. So in other words, they have to pass both part A and part B. Um, if they need to do a reset, our resets are usually a month or two after the actual sitting, and they're allowed one reset, and they keep the higher of the two marks. And what resources are available, David, to support um, students and teachers around either the delivery or the assessment? The resources, I always felt, were more than sufficient because you have um, your teacher assessment area under the platform, and um, you've got uh, not only the textbooks we provide, we've got it all online, but there is, of course, the textbooks that we provide. Um, and of course, we've got um, resources in the form of past papers. So there's more than enough to go around, whether it be part A or part B. Uh, not only are the past papers, the specimens as well included in that, but we have exemplars. I think a lot of the times the students, when they start writing, they haven't done much, it's a bit, bit of a big jump from uh, year 11. So when they start actually writing the questions, they feel somewhat intimidated. And what I like to do, and I know several teachers go by this, is uh, give them an exemplar, make them the examiner for the day. They look at the paper, they grade it pretty harshly, and then you realize that they're not grading it properly. You give them the mark scheme and you can show them where they've gone right or where they've gone wrong. And from that, if you've, for example, taken an exemplar of a D grade, you can ask them to, okay, try and get that to a C grade. What is your target grade? Let's see what information is missing. And it's really nice because it gives a great scope right up to A star, so you get a good understanding as a teacher what answers we're looking for as an A star or D grade, etc. So resources-wise, absolutely plenty to go around there, as well as obviously the, the textbooks. For teachers, well, we have the scheme of work, uh, which I live by because it really uh, is great the way they break up the information. And just today, I actually had a teacher I did a CPD with, and they were impressed that they've actually allocated the guided learning hours. So you get a rough idea how much time you need to spend on each section. In addition to that, on the scheme of work, you've got suggested activities. Now with our level three, actually even better than our level two in that it comes with suggested activities given to the students, but linked on the scheme of work. So you as a teacher, I know will appreciate this, Scott, it saves you so much time. You're not having to come up with your own resource, but uh, there's one already. Of course, if you have your own, that's great, but this is just a built-in activity for you that you can blend into your, your lesson planning. Well, I remember when I was teaching this for the first time and I did lead on the scheme of work and resources that on, on our platform a lot. And I think as, you, as the next year goes and the next year goes, you start to build your own bits up and add things to it, but especially for new centers and new teachers, it's a great safety blanket to start off with and, and the course has been around a long time now and I think we, we, do resource it, we do resource it well. So thank you for that. What, what can students progress on to once they've completed the certificate or the diploma? Okay, so I mean, as finance is such a big part of business, uh, there are many industries that you can join. And at the end of the day, as you well know, business is in business to make 
a profit. Uh, that is the bottom line at the end of the day. So if you're coming in, whether it's to start um, at Tesco or any other supermarket uh, package shelf, they know that you've got some foundational understanding of what money is. And I believe that enhances your application. I, I think you, you might be aware of this too, Scott, that I've had several schools that have come back and said how the students have gone for various applications, whether to be university or to work. And uh, the employer has been very impressed by the fact that they have this under their belt. So number one, I'd say it, it definitely will go into any industry. Um, it's not unique to anything specific. I would also check out our website to explore the various careers. We've got a fantastic uh, link there called My Financial Careers, and uh, that's available to you. And you can get an understanding because a lot of the time students tend to think with financial means equals bank. Oh, I will work for a bank. They don't realize the, the, the depth and the breadth of, of the financial services industry, such as insurance, for example, and uh, various such like. And it just gives them a good understanding. You know, of course, a lot of them want to know how much will you make? And on the website, it shows you what you need, the qualifications, the experience, and, and the, the money that you'll earn. And of course, obviously, actuaries being the most, uh, they seem to be quite enamored by that, but then realize, you know, you need to actually have a you know, pretty good understanding of maths, for example. So um, it, it's, a good, it's a good training guide to, really find out what where you could see yourself possibly and then of course we've got our own university which i, I, I couldn't leave out today and that is for successful students um, who finished our qualifications they may want to carry on to do one of our two undergraduate degrees uh, which offer specialized degrees in banking and finance um, and their unique professional programs to help your students gain competitive edge um, in the financial services industry. Of course, other universities also do accept our qualification. However, I always um, have say this with a proviso in that it's important to find out in advance uh, from the various academic um, university, the faculty that is, whether the particular university in question will accept our qualification, because sometimes the offer is quite specific if you want to do biology or whatever the case is. But by and large, um, we have most universities um, accepting our qualification, uh, but it's just good to do the research in advance. You know, you've done the job now for like we said, over seven years. Uh, feedback that, that you get from teachers, exams officers, and most importantly from the students themselves around the level three qualification, what, what have you had? I mean, this is an easy one. One of your easier questions for me today. <laughs> of course, I've taught it, so I'm going to be a bit biased. But I think it, it definitely gives me some uh, credibility when I'm out there because I've sort of done it myself. But uh, as far as teachers are concerned, they absolutely love it. I think it's hard sometimes winning them over initially when they haven't taught it. And I, I, was, I was also had my doubts when my head of six came through and said, oh, we're going to be teaching this. And I had to listen to the, the RM at the time, go through the whole spiel of what it involved. But as soon as I realized, actually, it's a subject, and dare I say, I mean, I taught A-level accounting and business, I was actually quite territorial to the point of only wanting to teach this, <laughs> much to the dissatisfaction of my other colleagues. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. And uh, 
they realize that um, they love teaching it because it's more like they're having a discussion of life skills and alluding to, you know, talking about real life examples and the engagement with the students really enjoying the lesson. So, so it's a definitely, uh, it doesn't take much to, to win over the teachers once they start uh, teaching them. As far as the exams officers are concerned, I do, I have a lot of time, which I spend with them when I do my annual center reviews on, you know, occasionally I, I get to spend just some time with them and uh, they like our exam board because they believe, you know, our customer service is second to none. Uh, one example is that we are very easy to get hold of and have a good turnaround of, of queries. So that's always good to hear. And, and I'll, I'll know you'll, you'll agree with me. We, we're very good in being able to get, even get through to. And then, of course, I think uh, when we talk about the students, um, the data speaks for itself. When I look at the uptake of our level three course onto our university course, um, it's really about a third of our registrations in HE are from students in schools that have taken our, our level three qualification. So that says a lot to me of how important it is, how they've enjoyed it and how they want to continue, um, which, which is fantastic. And we, we obviously actively promote our HE, we have no qualms about showing how great it is. And Freddie and his team do a fantastic job of going into schools, doing the various presentations. And I think something clicks with some of the kids. They might have thought of doing engineering or history or whatever, but they love the subject so much that they actually decide, you know what, I'm going to go and do a financial degree. Did you have a favorite topic when you were teaching it? Or did you like just the whole subject completely or did you have something you know you loved the idea of doing a particular area of the course yeah, yeah two areas i like the personal cycle because i did a i did a um, whole line you know when you're born when you die and all this thing and, and what happens in between and and that was a great lesson as to really putting your whole life out there in terms of how it's going to pan out financially that that was fun for them and they it really enjoyed that that was a great activity I think the one thing that got to me was a saving because I've been very passionate about that when it comes to pensions and explaining the pension dynamic, why you should, what's going to happen to you after 65, how long will you live, and really looking to the future and almost uh, giving them a challenge, you know, start saving 200 pounds a month, you know, in five years, you can have X amount if you do this or that. And a lot of them tried to take up the challenge. I don't know. I still have to contact them to see if that ever panned <laughs> out. But funnily enough, I did have one student who was fantastic. I bumped into him on the tube or so, uh, a while back and said, so I remember how you balance your books right down to the last 2P. And I was like, oh, yes, yes. He says, well, I do that now. And I was just like, that's amazing how certain types of behavior obviously affect you know change and even although he's not necessarily saving as much as he, he wanted to he's started a principle that i'm quite passionate about so i think to answer your question definitely the savings and the pension looking for the future uh, are, are i really enjoyed well you can't guarantee you're going to change every student's future for them but what you can guarantee is that you're going to get them thinking about things and that can only be a good thing right especially around the whole world of personal finance and money and we know the links between that and well-being and mental health and stuff so um lots of great stuff there thanks so much david and um, before we ask you the very last question just if people want to find out more about the qualifications and us an organization and, and what we do um how could they reach out to us or find out more information 
Okay, so the first thing you can do is our website is, is a, a quick go to, um, that's www.libf.ac.uk and follow the links to financial education and look under school qualifications. Of course, if you want to follow us on Twitter, our handle is at studylibf. And if you want to call us up, absolutely, there's a number obviously linked to um, our website that you can find. And for example, we host CPDs for schools. So if you're keen to have a presentation or a demonstration of our platform, we can happily arrange this for any school or college um, who's keen to know a little bit more about us. Excellent. I can put all the links and the information in the show notes, Dave, but thank you for going through that. Superb. You've been an absolute star and you've gone through level three qualification really, really well. So hopefully listeners have found it intriguing and want to know more. But before we let you go, one question we ask all our guests, if there was just one thing you could change regarding financial education, what might that be? Right. That's an interesting question. And I did have a little bit of time to think about it. And I would think of making it, it sounds quite draconian, but compulsory for everyone, everyone to have a basic form of financial education in school. Almost like you have to have a driver's license to drive a car. Uh, so before you're able to open any type of financial product, you should have some type of verification saying, I have done a financial qualification, therefore I can open a credit card or I can open a bank account. Quite harsh, but I think it would save a lot of issues in and challenges financially for, for for individuals. I like the sound of that. Anything that's going to kind of encourage us all to be a bit more prudent about our understanding of money can only be a good thing, right? So whatever steps goes towards that, the better. I guess you'd hope that maybe you know if we got the financial education right in younger ages, then by default they'd come out the other side having more knowledge. But until we're there, there may be something like a checkpoint would. Is that what you mean, like a, a checkpoint before you go out in the big wide world and can be exposed to maybe those organizations that are very good at selling those products? That's their job, right? But maybe we don't always know what we're buying. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. I think there's more regulations in, involved now and that they do have to tick a few boxes before they sell you. But I think if it can come from the side of the educators educating, so there's not this need to check and tick lists to make sure that the parties are aware of X, Y, and Z. It just would make it possibly more feasible for both the provider and the user. But yes, I totally agree with you. I think it's up to both industry to, to help uh, the various individuals take out financial products in a way that's transparent and open, but as well as us as educators to make sure that when they do leave school, that they have uh, a full set of tools to allow them to proceed into um, the world confidently and being able to make formed decisions, financially speaking. Thank you so much. So grateful for your time. We'll, we'll have you back on for some more topics, I'm sure. If it's okay, what we'd like to do is maybe pick a bit more into level three and maybe discuss some individual topics more specifically and break those down about how we might teach those into rows in the classroom. Would you come back and do that for us at some point? 100%. Brilliant. Thanks, David. Pleasure. Keep well. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please remember to leave a review and share. To find out more about the work we do at LIBF and our French education qualifications, please contact us or visit our website. All details can be found in this episode's show notes.